Welcome to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball is hosting today, and Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their community, their families, and their children. And there's nothing more exciting to see is Liberty Moms and Dads standing up and taking charge over um, over their over their dominion, their children, their gift from God. And um, I love seeing how so many more moms and dads have stepped up to the plate. We call them Liberty Moms and Dads because when you step up to that assignment of being the, um, the caretaker and the, the, um, the God-given influencer of your children, then you definitely are a Liberty Mom and Dad. And we are so honored to be part of the Loving Liberty Network. You can find us here um, through... Uh, an app or on the website, Loving Liberty Network. And today my host, no, I'm the host. <laughs> today my guest is Christina Bogus, who is running for the state school board in the Salt Lake Valley area. It is a state school board position. So there's one of 15 that um, she is running for. And it's an extremely important race back in you know, maybe even four, five, ten years ago, school board races were pretty um, kind of boring in a way, meaning they weren't glamorous, they weren't sexy, they weren't exciting. It was just school board and people were more worried about, you know, legislative seats. And to be honest, what really disappoints me is most people are just concerned about the presidential election and they don't care about state and local elections, even though the state and local elections, I feel like, are the most important races because they're, they influence you the greatest, and you have the biggest influence in those elections, meaning that you can reach out to your local elected official. You could meet with them. You can call them. You cannot call the president. You can't just show up at the White House and say, hey, I want to chat doesn't happen. And even in Congress, believe it or not, I've gone to back to DC the last couple of times and I've wanted to drop in on my congressman. And it's amazing how I can't get access sometimes into the building. And so it's our local elections in our state where we live that are the most important. And by far, I feel like school board is probably the most important because it directly influences our children. You cannot get any more closer to home than your children being affected by policies, by propaganda, right there. And so our, our schools should not be in a place where they are promoting propaganda. They were designed to teach your children to read, to write, and um, to do arithmetic, okay? And now they've turned into little propaganda um, workshops, basically. So um, without further ado, I want to bring on Christina Bogus. She is my guest today. I'm so excited to have her on. She is much needed 
in our state school board. Christina, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. And Christina has been a guest with me before. We were talking about this before we went on the air because she has, she is a current educator. She's a teacher herself. And she was on the show uh, probably a month, not a month, a year or so ago, maybe longer, to talk about the problems that she was seeing where she was working in the district that she was working in. And uh, now she's decided to just run and solve those problems, become the problem solver and not just, you know, make us aware of what's wrong, but just go in and go to work and make it happen. And so, Christina, thank you for stepping up to the plate. State school board is not an easy seat to run for. No, not at all. And thank goodness it's partisan now, which means you can run either in a, as a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, whatever party you want to run in, you can run for state school board, but, but now you get some recognition as far as party affiliation. Mm -hmm. I hope it's helped a little bit. Well, I think it's helped for many reasons, but to start with it, your school board is making partisan decisions and we'd like to think that education is nonpartisan, but through, through the last 40, 50 years, it has most definitely become um, partisan decision-making. And to that end, people really need to understand where people stand on issues. And that's very easy to veil and cover in a nonpartisan race. And so it's, nice to see that our state legislature values that and that they put that bill in place to ensure that the people of Utah have a very clear understanding of where people stand when they run for the school board. Well, just to give you a little bit of history, we used to have, um, the governor used to nominate or select the state school board, and it was through a board that was set up, I think, in, in 2000, something like that. So you could run for state school board. Anybody could run. But then they gave you a survey. And if they didn't like the answers to your surveys, you were booted out of the process. Mm-hmm. Nobody elected you. Nobody voted for you. It was just this committee that would boot you if you didn't seem to have the principles that they wanted you to have. So it made it really difficult for uh, parents, for teachers, for people that were really interested in the welfare of the student. Mm-hmm the welfare of the student okay and the uh the merchandising of a student okay but they could never it was really difficult to get through and then i believe it was back in 2014 in the davis county uh up there in state school board five there was a huge number of people running for school board i was actually one of them and we were running to just show that the system was so bad and one of them one of those candidates filed a lawsuit and sued sued the state on the fact that it was unconstitutional to have a school board not voted on by the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah. We're a Republican form of government. And it, so here, this, the board should be answering to the constituents, and instead they were really not accountable to anybody. And so mm-hmm. lawsuit throughout the process that had been in law. And then the legislature had to hurry and just um, accommodate the rule that the, the Supreme, the Utah Supreme court had given. And so that's where we got the partisan elections. And believe me, they have been fighting and trying to get that changed. In fact, I know governor Cox has 
every year to to change that, to get it back to what they had before, where he can have more, the governor can have more control on who appoints board members. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think the people should elect their representative and, uh, and then own their choice when, when things happen. Constitutionally, the governor has no control over education in this state. And it, it kind of, baffles me that that was ever the process here because our constitution really says it's not one of his duties. It's not something he oversees. Honestly, it it shocks me, Chris, when I see an educational platform come out of the governor's race, because if you understand our constitution, you're like, dude, I'm not voting for them because they don't understand our constitution. They're running on an issue over which they have no authority or control. And Rightly spoken, rightly spoken. And it was the former governor, Herbert, who has ruined our education system that we have right now in Utah by putting in Common Core. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And would not remove it. And again, it's not the purview of the government, of the governor, it's the legislature who oversees the education part of, of what's happening. But yes, you're absolutely right. And I love the word you used, baffle, because there's a lot of things that happens in the Utah government, so to speak, that baffles me as well. I'm 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 really baffled sometimes. So yeah, you, you're like I need to cogitate on that. Some cognitive yeah. dissonance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Christina, I heard your story about why you decided to run because you were actually not going to run originally. I mean, you weren't really considering it. What changed your mind? Why did you decide to jump in? Uh, gosh, that is a multifaceted answer that becomes a wicked web very quickly. Uh, I serve in Utah schools. I'm an educator in Utah schools, and I have a, I call it a broad umbrella view. Uh, I do serve in six institutions. I serve at the elementary level at this time. And it is very clear to someone with a broad view of what's going on, what a healthy school looks like, feels like, and functions like, and what an unhealthy school feels like and functions like and looks like. And uh, I've served in all sorts of institutions through the years. And, you know, I've been in Utah and been with the same district for a long time now. And it, it just is very clear. And so when you, when you look at that and you start watching policies come forth that foster unhealthy institutions, you wonder if people have a real time understanding of what that looks like. How does it play out inside those four walls? Because it's not playing out well for our kids and our teachers. And we really are in desperate need of someone with an umbrella view, not a not a narrow view. And um, and when I say that, if you've worked in, in one school your whole life, I don't think you're the candidate. If you've worked in two schools, I don't think you're the candidate. I really do believe that our state board needs a broad umbrella view with vast experience to come in and say, this is not going to help our students in this situation. And to really reject the idea that every school is the same. Because every school is not the same. What our children need in the heart of Salt Lake City is not the same thing that they need in Blanding, Utah. And we need to recognize that. We need to understand it. And we need to focus on making certain that we can address the individual needs of each child and not paint with a broad brush all the time. 
Yeah, that is what I see happened. What I saw happen with the programs that the federal government has been bringing forward, No Child Left Behind, Common they all are designed to get a program in lockstep in every single state. Not even, I mean, you're talking about the, the differences with children in, within the state of Utah. Imagine the differences with children in Utah compared to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They're going to be broad, broad differences, right? And yet we're supposed to be, right now, it's the same thing is taught in the same classroom across every school mm-hmm. in government uh, school system. Mm-hmm. And that just does not work. I mean, it harms our children. It's definitely harming our children. And parents realized that was going to be happening. Teachers realized it. We've had a mass exodus of great teachers who wanted to be teaching and not just being administrators. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've lost a great you know, group of teachers in this process. But here today, we are, we're left with... Um, what we look at in the classroom, which is we've got CRT, we've got SEL, we have data gathering of our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just nonstop. Um, and I'm not even talking about the alphabet. <laughs> we have the LGBTQ stuff where they're being presented with this ideology almost daily in the classroom. Well, and it's just simply not the school's role. The The reality is you know, we have a divine right. You know, we talk about inalienable rights gifted by God. Parents have a divine right to steward their children. They, uh, it's just a reality. And it is not the school's role, nor is it the teacher's role to socialize children. And, um, but I have to to come back up against that with, with rights come responsibilities. And we have parents in this state, unfortunately, you know, that broad view I talked about, We've got parents that are active and they're engaged and they're teaching their children. We do also have children who come to school and uh, at kindergarten don't know how to use eating utensils. And so mm-hmm. with with rights comes responsibility. And we do need our parents to step up and be responsible parents because when they aren't, someone has to. And unfortunately, when you see schools usurping the role of family and of parent, um, sometimes it's not because there's a good parent, but sometimes, or there's a bad, I, I didn't say that right. But my point is, is sometimes you have a great parent and you've got a teacher who does it anyway. And sometimes you have a parent who's neglected their role and someone has to step up and do the job. So we absolutely need to honor parents' rights and parents need to step up and own that responsibility and own it across the board. Am I, am I speaking in a way that makes sense I, to you? Yes, I understand what you're saying. The problem that I see that happens, and this is not just in the education world, but this is, there's, an, there's a tendency for government to feel that everyone is a deadbeat parent. And that's just not true. Right, but it's, it's like every, all the parents are mm-hmm. that, and that, that's why government needs to step in and be the, the one to implement and and do these teachings because they can't rely on the parent, you know? And so it's like, again, it's an all, all one, one size fits all sort of ideology where all the parents are put in the same sort of basket. And it's, it's not that 
simple because you do, like you said, you do have parents that are very engaged, that are very um, diligent about um, working with their children and making sure their children are supported with their schooling. And then you have others that are just gone mm-hmm. just around, which is, which is heartbreaking, but it's, it's. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. But we should not legislate to those. We should not legislate to the lowest common denominator. Right. That, that's just bad policy making. We should always produce policy and public policy that affirms individual liberty as opposed to government control. And does that mean we don't serve those who have that need? Absolutely not. It means we do serve them, but we produce policy for those who are upright and for the purpose of individual liberty. And we we serve the anomaly, but we don't paint a broad brush that everyone is bad because that's just simply not true. So Christina, if I were to ask you a question, there's so many things going on right now that parents have been upset about are they all connected or do you think that there's one outstanding thing that's the worst thing that we should address or should tackle or are they kind of entangled with each other? Honestly, I think they're entangled. I think they're entangled. Uh, If I were to say that I would love to address one thing right now, one thing, I would address the public discourse. I think that our state school has been grossly derelict in its duty to manage and to produce positive public discourse. And by that, I mean um, positive conversations about things over which we disagree. And to that end, just as an example, I would challenge anybody listening to go to the state's website and find the board agenda. What is the state school board doing? Is it easy to find? When it's there, is it easy to access? Can you understand it? Uh, I would challenge you to do that because I do it on the regular and it always takes, I always have to plan about 10 minutes to find the agenda, dig it up because it's, there's not easy access. Our, our board produces lip service of transparency yet our educators go to work every day and they say, we care about what teachers think, but their public comment is at 9am one day a month for 3.21 million people they produce 30 minutes a month to listen to public comment. I, it's, it's unacceptable. And it's not transparent to say that we we want to hear what you think, yet you put your public comment time during the workday when teachers are at work. Those two things don't jive. And your board is supposed to take a leadership role in education in this state. And instead of taking a positive role in the public discourse, they've produced a hostile public discourse. And that's very concerning to me. It's concerning to me as a parent. It's concerning to me as an educator. And it's concerning to me as a citizen. Because we should be able to have hard conversations without um, protests at at the State Board of Education. We should be able to have these conversations and we should be able to honor religious liberty without having fights. It, I just think it's super unfortunate. So if there is one thing that I would say really needs to be focused on, it's the public discourse and the champion of individual liberty in our schools. You know, one thing I would add to that, Christina, just from my experience with the state mm-hmm. When Common Core was initially passed and we showed up, is I would love to have just some honesty coming out of that organization because oh, yes, he showed up to the school board meeting 
And we were upset because they had implemented math and language arts into Common Core. They mm -hmm. promised us. They said, oh, this is it. There's nothing else that's going to be added into Common Core. They just want to do these two areas. And then I sat in the committee meeting when Brenda Hale, I believe is her name, she decided to come up with a new name and change the name of Common Core to Utah Core. Keep it the same. I mean, the Common Core didn't change. They just changed the name. But then they went around and mm -hmm. told everybody that it was different, that it wasn't Common Core. It was Utah Core. It was our own core. And so mm -hmm. it's been a level of dishonesty to an agenda. And that, I think, is uh, unacceptable. Obviously, it should be unacceptable, right? And yet that... Well, dishonesty is unacceptable. It It's just... Yeah, and you know, that has happened. You know, Satan is the father of lies. Yeah. So if that's the realm we're going, dishonesty is not acceptable from a public agency. Yeah, and that has been, so that has been my personal experience when I've attended meetings. And you're right, the comment period is ridiculous to think that they're going to be able to get, I mean, even parents um, getting kids off to school or if they have to work or what, like 9 a.m., no. No, they need to be having something that's in the evening when people have better accessibility to that. So, uh, to yeah. be fair, I think it's nine thirty. Is it nine? If I if I might have said it wrong. To be fair, I do believe it's nine thirty. But you know, when we yeah. talk about honesty, I like to be fair in sporting. There you go. <laughs> so we need to be. We need to make sure yeah. we're on the same. Yeah, right. Okay, so public discourse. Okay, so that's probably something that hasn't been addressed by. Um, other candidates before in in the school board elections, but yet I can see where that's very needed. And I know for myself, I, I've gone to meetings where they funneled me off. Um, I think it's called the Delphi principle, where they kind of uh, funnel you into different rooms so that you're not all together. Mm -hmm. And uh, they you don't know what's going on. You don't hear the comments. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I've witnessed from our state school board as well. And so there's a lot of changes or, um, uh, yeah, changes that need to be made that make it more accessible to parents and to teachers, for sure. Yeah, and genuinely transparent. Board packets with 3,000 pages and five days to review them tells me there's something to hide in there, and that concerns me. It concerns me as an educator, it concerns me as a mother, and it concerns me as a citizen. Well, we've got, um, we're coming up on a break, but we've got more that we're going to discuss with Christina Bogus. She is running for state school board here in Utah in the Salt Lake Valley area. We'll get into exactly what her district consists of when we come back from the short break. But you're listening to the Liberty Moms podcast here on the Loving Liberty Network. Stay with us. We'll be back after this short break.
Welcome back to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today, and I'm having a discussion with my guest, Christina Bogus, who is running for the state school board. And I want to let our listeners know exactly which area you cover. And state school boards, as we discussed before the show, are huge districts. Yes. I think we could use some downsizing and have more districts. Mm-hmm. Right now we have 15. And so mm-hmm. tell our listeners what your district consists of. So uh, in short, my district consists of the Kearns Township, all of Taylorsville, uh, the vast majority of West Jordan, minus about seven precincts on the east side of Redwood Road. And then I have six West Valley precincts. So it's a very small slice of West Valley City. And uh, it goes from the, the eastern border all the way to the county line. And so I tell people, in short, we've got Kearns, Taylorsville, all of West Jordan, and a slice of West Valley City. Wow, that is a lot of area to cover. Mm-hmm. And your, your district, again, we had a redistricting this year because of the census, which caused the, the redistricting of ledge seats, including school board districts. So did mm-hmm. you have an official incumbent that you're running against, or is it kind of an open seat? So District 5 is the only open seat. Uh, District 8 had an incumbent who was appointed by uh, Governor Cox when a seat vacated. And so District 8 did have an incumbent, and I defeated her in convention cycle. And so that was that was awesome because we didn't uh, have a primary, and now we're into the general election, and I do have uh, an opponent in the general election. Right. Okay. So that was, I remember you had this amazing convention win, which was spectacular. <laughs> Yeah, almost 70%. Yes, yes, 70%. So that means delegates were super supportive and excited about what Christina has to offer. And I just want our listeners to know that these, these, we're in the final five weeks of this election cycle, and it's so much work. And I I can't even imagine a state school board race, honestly, because it's so large, so, so large. And uh uh, but if anyone can donate their time, their talent, and some shekels, dollars, mm-hmm. Christina, please do so. Because Christina is someone we really need who really understands the intricacies of a lot of the uh, policies and the, the procedures that are put into place in our school boards. At mm-hmm. not- school boards, but in our education system. And so give our listeners your website. Uh, it is CB, the number four, UT.com. Okay, CB, number four, UT.com. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know, it doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to live in Taylorsville to, to be a donor or, or Kearns or West Jordan. Mm-hmm. What happens on the school board affects your child, whether they live in Holiday, Logan, St. George, what is happening on the state school board affects children throughout the state. And so when you can get a good candidate and a good school board member, it's going to help your children in the classroom, every single person. So that's why I really feel like anybody, it doesn't matter where you live, is a constituent right now because we need to replace, as we talked about in the first segment, there's some bad actors that have been on the state school board for a long time because they've been selected and entrenched 
And now that we've got a way to vote good people onto the board, we need to be replacing some of those people who have been there for a long, long time. So mm -hmm. please support Christina. And again, it can be in time. Uh, there's walking and canvassing and making phone calls. There's lots of ways to do it, but also financially, because that's how she can get her name out. So please do so. Now let's get back to, uh, let's get back to data. Let's go to data privacy and the mm. children and the idea that they are being monetized as they sit in a classroom. Everything they do is kind of a way for a corporation or another government entity to monetize and make money off of that child. Mm -hmm. I don't know if our parents are aware of that. Yeah, it's... Um... It's interesting to me because when you speak about it, people are like, Manya, they, they, they honestly make sound effects. They don't fully understand what's going on inside some of the systems that have been put in place. And, and I had written something. I said from the beginning the, of my campaign, even with my delegates, that I had a consistent message. And that message is that the Utah State Board of Education must absolutely focus on securing the spirit and intent of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution in its policies, procedures, and infrastructures, and they must come under and adhere to Utah Code. And I, I think that we've lost that at the state school board. Um, they have come in in votes of support for some very, very invasive query that are. are our students take and then the the surveys where they offer them they issue a blanket statement hey we're doing this and they call it informed consent where a parent has to assert that they don't want their child to do it as opposed to an active engagement of your parents um, where the parent says oh that looks good i think i'll let my kid do that or i think my child should do that um, Informed consent is passive parental engagement, whereas active, um, or I, sh I, uh, I said that wrong. So uh, it, it doesn't matter, Chris. I'm so sorry. But the, there's an active and passive way of engaging parents. And right. one way is authentic and real, which is what the parents of Utah want. <laughs> and the other one is passive, where they just say, hey, we're doing this. Let us know if you don't like it. And that's that's not it's not good for parents. It's not good for kids, but some of these queries are very invasive and um, the data well, that's collected for behind example, dangerous. With, with the sharp survey, for example, mm -hmm. you know, the, do you want your child to participate in this? We're going to give out this survey. And, and the parent has no idea what questions are being asked. And mm -hmm. I would not want my child to be subjected to questions about their sexuality. Mm -hmm about their mental health or whether they have experienced any sort of an argument with their parents. And so there's some really evasive, as you mentioned, questions that are being given to our children and our parents have no idea that that is happening because as you said, they've just received this passive informed consent, meaning, hey, we're going to give out this survey. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that that is not okay because again, do parents have the ability to go online and look at that survey? Uh, they actually do now, but it, it was pretty hard fought. I was gonna say that's a good step in the right direction because that was not a possibility 
Yep. So I'm actually looking right now at, at a thing, and the opening thing says, Dear Parent, and it gives some information, and this is the key line. It says, Your child's class may be selected to participate in this survey. Classes who have been selected will be asked to complete one of the two following questionnaires. It lists them but does not provide a link to them. And then it goes on to, to describe these surveys. And then it says, according to Utah law, parents must give their permission before a student can participate in the survey. And, um, and then it says, you need to be aware that X. And um, it, it says your child's participation is completely voluntary. But if you don't assert a no, they can give this and they do give it to your child anyway, uh, which is very concerning. And then later on, it says, uh, if you have questions or would like to review copies of the survey, please ask a school official at your child's school. That to me, again, we go back to that purposefully honest, purposefully transparent. That needs to be a, a short link, a web link go to bit.ly forward slash da da da. Right. It needs to be purposefully honest and purposefully transparent. And um, even a QR code. Here's a QR code because most parents, and what kills me is when I received this, it was in paper form. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't click a hyperlink on a paper. That's true. <laughs> but I can scan a QR code. And so there are th things that schools can do to build the public trust, but they simply don't do them. Because if people knew what que queries were on these surveys, I think they would take huge issue with it. And when they understand how the data is being used to influence and shift and change the culture and the instruction at our schools, they would be pretty shocked. Right. It's it's really, it's as they say, the devil is in the details. If they could have access to these questions. I know in the past when they had a D.A.R.E. program, which was the drug program, mm -hmm. the schools, which has now gone away, but there was a parent that talked about they did a survey. They gave the students a survey about drugs, and their child knew nothing about sniffing glue until you read the survey question, do you ever sniff glue? And how often do you mm -hmm. do it? And he got really curious about it and went about finding glue and sniffing it and ended up overdosing after a period of time because he got into drug abuse. And it was simply from a survey, simply mm -hmm. a survey question that, you know, queried his interest. And mm -hmm. he had no idea that that was even a possibility. And so there's a lot of subjective questions that are on that survey that would maybe make a student question, like, should I be gay? Like, they're asking me if I feel like I am. Should I be that way? Mm -hmm. They're just, and it's not appropriate. It's like, what does that have to do with your education of your child? But honestly, it doesn't. You know, if our focus mm -hmm. is academic skill sets and skill acquisition, then we should be focusing on math and it has nothing to do with math. We should be focusing on phonics and how to read and it has nothing to do with that. Uh, yeah, I, I get very concerned because the, the idea that these things are being queried at school is inappropriate. It's my job, my job as a mother to teach my children and it's not the school's job to query 
those things. So there's other ways that they are gathering data on our children, and that is through the testing program. Mm -hmm. And how much time is spent that a child sits in a desk on a computer testing? Well, honestly, it depends on the child and, and the school and what the institution or the school district has put forth as the assessment protocols for, for their institutions. But there are some buildings in this state where schools, or excuse me, uh, institutions assess their students up to four full school weeks. So we're talking six, six and a half hours a day um, for 20 days. That's huge. That's huge. That's a lot of assessment time. And obviously it's not packed all into one, but when you add it all together, you're looking at a substantial amount of your school year being spent in assessment. Well, that explains why they have to start school in August. <laughs> and we end on June 8 or yeah. 9. Yeah. Right. They have to because they've got to allow for this testing time. Because I remember I grew up in a period of time where you didn't go to school till after Labor Day. And mm -hmm. finished before Memorial Day. And it's interesting, my grandkids are in a private school mm -hmm. and they fall in those windows. Mm -hmm. They'll start yeah. until after September, Labor Day, and then they're done by the end of May. Yep. Yeah. They're in other states, they start school the last week of August and they end on like May 15. Wow. And it they get the job done. Yeah, so you've got the egregious amount of testing, which causes a lot of anxiety in students. I know that was always kind of a big thing for, for kids, testing, being tested on what they've learned. And when you have that much time being tested, you can see why anxiety levels have increased in children. Mm -hmm. We get into the idea of what is being taught in the classroom with um, critical race theory, social emotional learning that's the sel and these are programs that are interwoven throughout the whole curriculum that they're exposed to right uh so i, I want to be cautious because i think to say critical race theory is a program in schools would not be truthful at least it's not something i have observed i do know that um in terms of the tenets and the presuppositions of critical race theory, those are taught to your to your teachers. I have sat in those trainings. So if you look at the, the tenets of critical race theory and you, you put them side by side with teacher training, that absolutely is there. Um, to say that we're teaching that exact same thing to our children um, would probably not be 100% true, but we are informing our children through the praxis of our infrastructure in our schools. And we are having conversations with children through the lens of those presuppositions okay. and so when you say infused and interwoven i would say that yes that is true but as a, a pocket of instruction i don't think that i could go that far and and be fair and sporting and social and emotional learning happens two ways it is integrated throughout the whole day and it also happens in standalone programs where they have uh, pocketed pre uh slated time that they do social and emotional learning throughout the day um, or throughout the week. Sometimes it's a once a week standalone program. Sometimes it's a daily program. Sometimes it's through uh, social and emotional programs where they insert programs into recesses. And so that definitely does exist and it, it exists in different capacities. Okay. That's what I've heard happening up in Davis school district is they are 
getting rid of their third recess to have a social emotional learning modular, whatever they're going to call it. Interesting. So yeah, so parents have to speak up and and let that district know that local school board know that mm -hmm. they are opposed to that if that's the case. Well, absolutely, and and parents need to be opting out. I, I think that that one of the things with the discourse in our state, and and I, I talk about that because it frustrates me as a mother, but it also frustrates me as a teacher. If you don't like it, opt your kid out. You know, your kid, it, by law, you can opt your kid out of any survey, any survey that violates the law. So you need to be opting your kid out. And there's um, an initiative in this state called Opt Out Utah. They have a website, optoututah.com. Opt your child out of the surveys. And then when it comes to social and emotional learning and those standalone programs in particular, you can opt your kid out of that instruction. And that's a right that parents have, but it's also a responsibility because we can complain, but until we act and assert ourselves, we're really just part of the problem in, in what I call a public discourse problem. We have to, to, to take a step forward and act on behalf of our children and assert our constitutional and our divine right to parent and steward our children in the way that we believe is, is fit for them. I love that, Christina. I, in fact, we had a, uh, a couple of guests on, uh, I guess it was maybe a month ago, I interviewed them and they were with optoututah.com. And what a godsend for parents because I love technology that and people that are smart enough to, to put this together, but it's kind of a one place to go and stay on top of all of the issues that might be happening in your district. Mm -hmm. even at the state level, because what they were sharing with me is that if the school goes in or the state school board goes in, if anything gets shifted in that particular policy, mm -hmm. and it's like you're opted back in again. Uh, it can happen that way. Yeah. Uh, but there are many things that you have to opt out of every single year. And, and I actually wrote it down while we were, were talking before. It's implied consent. When they just say, hey, we're going to do this, and if you don't want to, tell us, that's called implied consent. Informed consent is mom and dad have to sign a form. And, and I would love to see active engagement from the state board down to our local institutions that demands informed consent from every parent. And I, th I think if we really value parental engagement as, as a buzzword in our political discourse, parental engagement... I think we need to be an informed consent state where we say this is happening in your school. If you would like your child to participate, sign this form and give us your informed consent. And I think that would be a message to parents across the state that we believe in you as the, the primary steward of your child and that we are going to engage with you as the primary steward of your child. And we are not going to do anything without your informed consent. And, and I just would love to see that active engagement with parents as opposed to the passive engagement. I am glad you, you, you landed on the right word, implied consent, because I wanted to go back and just clarify, you referenced the Fourth Amendment and for mm -hmm. any of our listeners that aren't right on top of what the Fourth Amendment is, but it's your right to privacy. And so when they are gathering data 
about your child. And at one point in time, it was aggregated where it was maybe the whole classroom. They would take big chunks of data and nothing was identified to the student, but that's gone. Those days are gone. Everything is identified directly to the student. But this implied consent is if you don't stand up or you don't speak against it, then you have basically agreed to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. What they're saying. And so that's why rights and responsibilities do go hand in hand because it's your responsibility to hang on to your right. And that's what the opt out option gives you is that you can opt out and say, no, I do not want that invasion of privacy to happen to my child. Absolutely. Well, and it, and for parents who don't fully understand that, I want them to really think about when the letter comes home that says, hey, we're going to do um, scoliosis screenings. Let us know if you have a problem with that. That's an implied consent issue. And it's one where they go, oh, well, they're going to check my kids back. Whatever. Right. They that that is an implied consent relationship. They issue notice that it's going to happen and it's your responsibility to say no. And, and again, as, as a mother, as a teacher, I would love to see us become an active, um, informed consent state where we are purposefully engaging our parents as the primary stakeholders in their child's education. I think we need to put our money where our mouth is and quit using buzzwords in politics and be super bold and say, this is not lip service. It's not virtue signaling. We believe that parents should be engaged and we're going to engage them in the way that um, is, is honest and upright. All right, Christina, that is fantastic. So um, we are kind of wrapping up here, but I want our listeners to know state school board races are super critical. And right now we have got some seats across the state Right now, I think there's seven seats that are up for re-election. And we've got some great candidates in several races. But Christina is one that we really need in the state school board because of her knowledge of the school. As she stated before, she's been in a lot of different schools in different programs and has a broad view of what's going on in our school system. And, and And the the brain capacity to understand all these entanglements. It's not easy when you get into the weeds onto what is happening. It's very, very difficult. And so I love the idea that people have stepped up to the plate, that there's a resource for parents such as opt out Utah, Mm -hmm. protect the privacy of your children. And thank you for bringing that up, Christina. But again, tell our listeners how they can get to your website to help you. Awesome. So my website is super simple. It's cb, the number four, ut.com. And uh, information is there. There's a donate link right at the top. And we were working to reach 110,000 voters. And we're, we're going step by step and making that, that push to meet and engage with voters. There's an events page. They most certainly can engage with my events page and come and meet me and ask any question they want. And if I don't have an answer, I have the ability to research and find an answer because I do know where to find the answers to people's questions. Great. Thank you, Christina, for being a guest today. And thank you for, gosh, willing to throw your hat into the ring. That is such a huge sacrifice. 
or your family to be able to, to do that. And I so thank you for it because five more weeks sounds like five more years. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Process, in yeah. All right. So thank you again. We wish you the best of luck. And I know I'm going to come out and canvas in your area, but, but uh, thank you for listening you. in today. This has been the Liberty Mom podcast, and we'll be back next week with a new lineup.